Thank you. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Psalm 120. We're beginning a new sermon series this Sunday, looking at the Psalms of Ascent. Those are Psalms 120 through 134, and we'll be looking at those throughout this summer. We'll begin in Psalm 120. This is God's Word. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you and what shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the, among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those places, among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. God, we come to you again and ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see wonderful things from your word. Would you teach us? Transform us, convict us, encourage us, that we might be more like Jesus. We pray in His name, Amen. So many times, especially kind of in the sales world, we tend to put our best foot forward. We tend to paint things in the best possible light. So uh, if you uh, look uh, at a, a description on online about a house that's for sale, it might say something like this, cozy cottage in an established neighborhood with tons of character and great bones. That could translate to, it's small, it's old, in a tired neighborhood, and it probably needs renovations down to the studs. Or, a car, a 2004 Honda CRV, classic styling, new belts and hoses and radiator and starter and battery, Few cosmetic blemishes, and then this is my favorite, mostly highway miles. What's that mean? It, it's old, it's an outdated body, it has uh, new parts because the car keeps breaking down, and it has tons of miles on it. As you know, as I said uh, just a few moments ago, we're beginning a summer-long journey through the Psalms of Ascent, pilgrim psalms that people would sing on their way to and from the three annual feasts that the people of God, the people of Israel, celebrated. And uh, as they made their way up to Jerusalem, it was literally an uphill walk. So that's why the name Psalms of Ascent. They were going up the mountain to worship God. And these were... The songs that they would sing, these were their mixtape, these were their playlists, this was a songbook for their journey. And if we were putting together a hymn book for travelers or praise songs for pilgrims, we would probably put our best foot forward, right? We would put uh, kind of amazing grace and come thou fount of every blessing and in Christ alone, we'd put those songs at the beginning, you know, to set the stage, we put our best foot forward. 
but what we see here is that we, we begin the Psalms of Ascent with a psalm about distress and hardship and exhaustion and dilemma. We begin with a song about worshiping God when the wheels fall off, about the stark reality of living life for God in a fallen, broken world as a fallen, broken person. And here's what I want to suggest to you this morning. This is exactly what we need. This is a beautiful and frank and honest assessment about life and worshiping God in the midst of the storm. That is exactly what we need this morning. We we need reminding that the Christian faith is not about looking like we have it all together or putting on our plastic faces when we come to church, but it's about a faith that lasts. Real, raw, authentic we can stand on christ our firm foundation through the joys and the sorrows of life through those sweet and quiet days and through the days when we literally think i don't know how i can get through this through those gut-wrenching days god is with us and we can worship God when the wheels fall off. And Psalm 120 is a boilerplate, it's a blueprint, it's an example of what it looks like to worship God when the wheels fall off. And and we've all been there before. And if you haven't been there, I'm not trying to sound negative, but you will be at some point in your life. Maybe you're going through the storm right now. My charge and encouragement to you is hold on, lean in, trust, and worship God even when the wheels are falling off. So let's look at the passage together. Psalm 120. What do we see first? First of all, we see a profession. And many Sundays here at Palmetto Hills Church and uh, Christians throughout the world profess, we profess our faith together. Why? Well, it's a statement. It is a a trustworthy statement, a trustworthy saying where we say together, we profess what we believe about the past, the present, and the future. We publicly, verbally, communally declare what we believe. And so Psalm 120 verse 1, in, in some sense, is a profession of faith. It's a statement It's essentially the psalmist saying, if you're willing to listen, let me tell you a little bit about my story. And he begins with the question, when? Look at what verse 1 says, in my distress. Remember Paul told Timothy, there will be difficult times and challenging circumstances. Endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter, we read that we shouldn't think some strange thing has happened to us when we face trials, fiery trials. James chapter 1 says, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when we face trials of many kind, for we know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. So, brothers and sisters, Christians, we are not immune from heartbreak and hurt and difficulty and roadblocks. And what do we learn from those things? We learn, we've all experienced that the pain and the hurt and the heartbreak of life leave us searching and struggling for help and meaning and purpose. So when we begin, in my distress, 
It's an equalizer. It's a reminder that we all face difficulties. It's a statement, a profession on the way to Jerusalem to worship God that we are in this together. And then what does the psalmist do in his distress? He says, I called. At the end of his rope, in the midst of the storm, he cried out with nowhere to go but up. And this urgent need, he calls out. You guys ever seen... Uh, calls that hunters use, like a duck call, or, or, or they bugle like a, an elk, um, or you grunt call a deer. Well, there's a certain call, and you can look this up on the internet, it's kind of crazy. It's called a fawn distress call. And so the hunter makes a sound like a fawn, like a baby deer in trouble. And deer come running not just the mama of that fawn but like they come charging to the situation and what the psalmist understands here is in my distress i called to whom the lord and as you know the way that the word is Spelled here, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This is the covenant name of God. This is Yahweh. I called out to God who revealed Himself to Moses at the burning bush. I am who I am. This is not a foxhole prayer. This isn't a, God, if you're out there somewhere, if you exist, could you please help me? This is a prayer of someone who knows God, a worshiper of God, a sojourner, a pilgrim. This is a cry of a son to the Holy One of Israel who was and is and is to come, the Lord, the Lord God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. My Lord, my God. It's not just a cry for help, it's personal. And if you're a parent here this morning, you know that if you heard your son or daughter say, Mom, Dad, they wouldn't have to say your name. You know their voice. You know their cry. And so the psalmist here is crying out to God. In my distress, I called out to the Lord. It's so powerful and so needed. And, but what is our tendency? What is our temptation when we're in distress? Isolation? Alienation? We suffer in silence, we don't want to come to worship, we don't want to cry out to God because maybe we feel shame or embarrassed or resentment or anger toward God and others. We don't want people to see our weakness. We don't want to be a burden to them. And When we're hurting and needy and in distress, how desperately do we need to call upon the Lord? And by implication, we need to call upon others and say I can't do this I'm overwhelmed I'm exhausted and here's the thing because of the gospel of Jesus Christ because of the good news that is central to who we are we should be the most equipped people to do this but we still struggle to ask God and others for help 
in my distress, I called to the Lord and, look at the end of verse 1, He answered me. And this is either specific to the circumstances that are outlined in this psalm, or it is a general reminder of God's faithfulness in the past. Either case, this is powerful. It plays then, it plays now. It's important for us. It touches our lives in a dynamic way. In my distress, I called out to the Lord. He's the only one who can ultimately heal and help us. Remember this Corey Tim Boone uh, quote, sometimes we know that Jesus is all we need. We don't know that Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we have. What did God do? He answered me. Brothers and sisters, in the heat of the moment, in the heart of our trials, Psalm 120 calls us to take a step back and remember what God has done. Look at His perfect track record of faithfulness and His love through every twist and turn of our lives, God has answered us. And we don't know what the answer to the psalmist's prayer was. God may have changed His circumstances. God may have brought other pilgrims alongside to help Him through His distress. Maybe God's answer was not right now, or maybe... Or no, maybe God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. But we know that God answered. I'm not sure of all the challenges and distresses that you are facing now in your life. But I know some of them. And I know they're Uniquely difficult, family drama, and scary prognosis, straying children, chronic pain, emotional battles, professional challenges, personal struggles. I love this quote from Samuel Rutherford, a 17th century Scottish preacher who said, God charges me to believe His daylight at midnight. Whatever you're going through, my encouragement from God's Word to you is this. Profess, declare, remember, in my distress, I called to the Lord and He answered me. The second thing we see from Psalm 120 is a problem. Imagine going to the doctor or the dentist or the mechanic or maybe the HVAC guy comes over. And what's one of the first questions they ask? What seems to be the problem? Well, as Psalm 120 unfolds, we get a sense of the particular distress and the author was facing. He has a specific problem, but it's an example for us, a case study that translates into how we handle hardship and hurdles in our life. Part of worshiping God when the wheels fall off is acknowledging and admitting and identifying the problems that we are facing. And so he says in verse 1, it's past tense. God has helped me. He answered me. But in verse 2, it's present tense. It's a plea. It's an imperative. Deliver me, O God, from what? From lies and slander and deceit. Think about how much it hurts 
when people lie to us. When people betray us, we feel belittled and duped. And add to that gossip and slander. Or when people uh, purposely leave you out or roll their eyes when you talk. Or under the veil of concern, I'm really concerned about so-and-so. Yeah, me too. Can you believe that they did this? And uh, I heard that they did that. The not-so-subtle judgment. And then, what about outright lies about what you did and didn't do? And then people attributing to you motives and beliefs and labels that are not true. Thoughts that never crossed your mind. Intentions that couldn't be further from the truth. Character assassination hurts. It destroys and it does matter. I don't care how thick your skin is. Or how tough we claim to be, lies and deceitful words destroy. And that's what we see here. Deliver me, O Lord, verse 2, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. Maybe you've had people say things like this to you. All, all she cares about is herself. He's just greedy. She's a fake. He's a phony. And then we come to verse 4. That could be taken in one of two ways. Both are true statements. First, it could be reflecting the powerful impact of deceitful tongues in this world and in our lives. Like sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Think about a flaming dart that shot into a village with the goal of burning everything down. It's a great image of deceitful, lying Slanderous words that can do monumental damage to us and others. There's also uh, some thought that this verse 4 also is talking about the judgment of God. About the power and impact of Almighty God who will judge and quiet liars and slanderers in His time through His judgment. You guys ever heard the Johnny Cash song, God's going to cut you down. Go tell the long-tongued liar. Go tell the midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell him that God's going to cut him down. You may throw your rock and hide your hand working in the dark against your fellow man, but as sure as God made black and white, what's done in the dark will be brought to the light. Sisters and brothers, we can take courage and comfort in the fact that God is a righteous judge. A couple points of application here as we think about the problem. When we're confronted with the lies and deceit of others, when people lie to us or about us, we must cry out to God first and foremost. We may need to respond to them. One of my encouragements to you would be to ask other brothers and sisters in Christ how to handle situations like that. Don't retaliate. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Trust in God. He is our defender and our helper. Take shelter under His wings and forgive as you have been forgiven. And when you're confronted with your own deceitful and lying tongue, admit, confess, and repent. 
Ask the Lord to help you work on your heart and the root causes of the deceit in your life. Set a guard on your tongue. James tells us how great a fire is set ablaze by such a small member. Our words and integrity and honesty matter, especially as we come to worship God. We need to practice forgiveness and repentance as we come before the Lord. And we live in community with brothers and sisters. The last thing we see from Psalm 120 is perspective. Verses 5-7. through uh, Perspective is one of the important tools and resources and solutions to the problems and distresses that we all face in life. We need to gain perspective. And, And we've all had people say to us, and we've been able to do it at times, let's just take a step back. Let's try to look at this from a different point of view. Let's take a deep breath. Let's pause when agitated. And instead of fire-ready aim, try to gain fresh perspective. And like verse 4, verses 5-7 through could be translated in one of two ways. Uh, They could be seen, look at verse 5, Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. That could be translated as despair. A pity party. Woe is me. I'm exhausted. I'm throwing my hands up in the air. I'm giving up. And if we're honest, we have to admit that there have been times, maybe recently, where we've thought about life and the frustrations and the hurdles, and the last thing we want to do is worship and trust God. We want to throw in the towel and give up. But... It could also be translated this way, and this is what I think Psalm 120 is about. It's a no that's a yes. Eugene Peterson talks about this in his helpful book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. This is what he says, quote, The usual biblical word describing the no we say to the world's lies and the yes we say to God's truth is repentance. It's always and everywhere the first word of the Christian life. And think about the ministry of John the Baptist. How did he begin? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How did Jesus begin his own ministry? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. As the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, what was the message that Peter preached? Repent and be baptized. In Revelation chapter 3, to the church at Laodicea, this is the message. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, be zealous and repent. And so you could say this whole section, the entire psalm, is a commitment to an expression of repentance, trust, a a, decision to live as pilgrims, sojourners, travelers in a world, in this world, on our way to heaven with God as our ultimate inheritance. That's, it. That's what enables us to worship when the wheels fall off. Why can I say this? Well, let's look closer at the passage. Verse 5, woe to me. The psalmist says, I'm tired, I'm fed up. Too long have I lived in Meshach and dwelt among the tents of Kedar. What does this mean? Meshach and Kedar are far away places from Israel. Meshach is 
probably in modern-day Russia, about a thousand miles north, northeast of Israel. Kedar are Arabian neighbors far to the southeast of, of Jerusalem. Both cultures were marked by savage brutality and sinful excess. Now, did the author of Psalm 120 really live in both of these places? Probably not. Most commentators believe that this, has, this is his assessment of the world, his take on the current situation of his culture. Even his sisters and brothers in Israel, they are guided and shaped by thinking and the worldview of Meshach and Kedar. Again, this is about perspective. I want peace. They want war. People around me are at each other's throats. We live in a dog-eat-dog world marked by anger and violence. So on the way up the mountain to worship God, when things are not all cute and peachy in his life, this is a song that they sang. A renewed commitment to perspective. God, I repent. God, I come back to the reality that I am a pilgrim, a stranger, a worshiper of God. I'm tired of being shaped and molded and controlled by the principles and mindset of this world of Meshach and Kedar. Ever thought about this, that worship and repentance is an act of defiance? I am going up the mountain to God. I am controlled by worship even when the wheels are falling off. Even in the midst of a culture that's set against the principles of God's kingdom and God's gospel way. Brothers and sisters, think about how powerful and pertinent this message is for us. Instead of simply throwing our hands in the air in disgust, or getting caught up or swept away by the same fears and anxieties and cares that plague this world, and you know there are plenty. Or instead of jumping on board with a lie that says the only way we can really be happy is to have piles of cash and the biggest house and the nicest cars and the most stuff. What if we had and we made a renewed commitment to worship God through thick and thin, to live lives of repentance and renewal, daily recalibrating our hearts and minds around the gospel and His promises and power and presence, remembering that God has a perfect track record of faithfulness. What if even in the midst of the storm and the crisis that seems absolutely impossible we were able to remember sooner and longer that God is with us, that God is in control, that we belong to Him, that we're sojourners and pilgrims on the way to worship Him, that we're coming together each and every week. When we come together each and every week on the Lord's Day, it's a reminder. It's setting our hearts back. Kids, you ever played pin the tail on the donkey? You ever tried to uh, hit the pinata, you're blindfolded, and then sometimes someone spins you around several times. You're totally uh, disoriented. And when we worship God, it's like Him taking us by the shoulders and helping us get our bearings 
and remind us about what's true and what's right. We have a profession that gives us perspective even through the problems of life. It helps us get settled and remember that the Lord is my shepherd, we are His people, the sheep of His pasture, that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be moved and the mountains be cast into the heart of the sea. For the Lord of hosts is with us, and the God of Jacob is our refuge. It reminds us that He will keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on Jehovah on the Lord. And and yes, there are real issues and challenges and causes that we can and should stand for and fight for, things that are important to us. And we need a growing commitment to God's kingdom and His message and His mission. Worshiping even when the wheels fall off helps recalibrate our hearts and motivate us toward the things that matter most. Living for God's glory love God and love others, to do justice and mercy and to walk humbly with Him. I want to close with a story from a pastor named Ed Hartman. Ed was a longtime missionary in Romania, and he was also a staff member at First Pres in Jackson, Mississippi. This is what he writes in his book, Homeward Bound. On August 25th, 1996, a cloudless Sunday morning as churches all over our country were celebrating worship, the earthly life of my beautiful young wife was quietly drawing to a close. I held her in my arms as she labored for her final breaths. I believe with unshakable certainty that Amy went immediately from my arms into the arms of her heavenly husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, to hear These words, well done, good and faithful servant. The last lucid conversation I had with her was at the hospital in the middle of the night about three weeks before she died. I asked her, sweetheart, do you know what's happening to you? She nodded slowly and deliberately. I'm going home. I replied, how do you feel about that? And with a quiet calm, she said, I'm okay. I know who I'm going to see. Brothers and sisters, the Psalms of Ascent remind us that we are on a journey. We are pilgrims and sojourners on the pathway to eternity. And this is our invitation to freely, joyfully, courageously worship God even when the wheels fall off. Lord, help us. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this psalm uh, that is not the one that we would normally turn to and find comfort in, but we thank You for the message that You are worth it and that we can worship You through thick and thin and that you will uphold and sustain us. Help us to remember today and throughout this summer that we are pilgrims, that we are travelers in this world, and that we're on our way to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.